0: Thank you, Pastor Brenda. Good morning, church, and good morning online to those who are there. It's great to be with you today, and we continue in our relationship series. Um, Didn't Pastor Brenda and Lance do a great job last week? Yeah, that was excellent. If you missed that, it is online, so go back and and check that out. Um, But I wanted to start with um, one of the slides that Um, they used in their talk. And these four quadrants of relationships and how things can play out. One, nothing might change, right? This side of heaven. And so there's that possibility. Or things might dramatically change. There might be a big miracle in the relationship. But most often, either both parties slowly change, or maybe just you change in the relationship. And, and those are the parts I want to talk about today, the, the ability we have to grow in our relationships, what's up to us to do. And so these next few weeks will kind of be a how-to, how do we grow in our relationships? And so today we're going to look at what derails us, what takes us off course from having good relationships. See, we're made for relationships. This past year, we had Cody at home with us because of COVID. He'd graduated online from college. He moved back here to Hong Kong, and at first it was a little disruptive. You've got an adult child, and you're figuring out the different ways to parent um, in this relationship. Um, And early on when he was with us, there came a point where we were going to throw out an Xbox video game that we hadn't played for years because I had broken it accidentally, and... I had this idea that, you know what, there was this game that Cody and I played um, so often back, gosh, five, six, ten years ago, and so I thought, wonder if they still make this game, and I ordered it, and I didn't tell Cody, and one night um, he was coming home, and I had the game on. And he walked in, he's like, he could hear the sound. It was familiar to him, the theme song of this game. And he's like, what? What happened? And so he was excited, and we started to play about 10 months ago. A few nights a week, we would play video games, and it was a rich time of connecting, of sharing, of reliving memories. And you might think, what does that have to do, you know, with this series? Our relationships, we are made for relationships, and our relationships are places of sacredness. Now, would you agree that um, Jesus was always about ministry? Yeah? Was he never not doing kingdom work? No, he was always doing kingdom work. So when he was at parties, kingdom work, right? When he was making more wine for a party, when he was hanging out. See, the things that he was about were about the kingdom, The things that he was about were sacred things, not just when he was in the synagogue or praying. Those were parts of what he did, but all of what he did was was relational. Yesterday in the men's group, we were watching a video, and one of the things this video showed was Harvard did a study, a 70-year study on happiness. So they tracked this group of people over 70 years on what leads to happiness. Do you know what they found? relationships were the key to happiness. So that's why we're spending time here because our relationships matter. Jesus tells us a little bit about what he hopes for these relationships in his word in John 17. So let's take a look at this. It'll be on the screen. It'll also be in your bulletin there. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and I've loved them even as you have loved me let's pray. God, we just invite you into this time. May you continue to speak to our hearts. May you nourish us, God. May you draw us into yourself this morning and speak a word to each one of us, I pray in your name. Amen. So Jesus is telling his followers about this perfect unity in the Godhead between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is relational in his being. And Jesus is praying that his followers will also have that sense of unity, that there'll be a connectedness, and that connectedness will be evident to everybody. See, there's this unconditional love in the Godhead, and God wants us to experience that love. He wants that love to transform us so we can actually do relationships with one another. Now, how many of your relationships look like the relationship of God? the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect harmony and love? Do we have any? (laughs) A couple. It's hard, right? It's not easy. This was a prayer that Jesus had that is still in process. It has not been fully answered, has it? He knew we would need prayer for this because our relationships go sideways, don't they? Now, if you're like me, what's a common response in the midst of conflict when something goes wrong in a relationship? For me, it's to blame, right? To blame the other person. And this is not a new response in relationship. We see all the way back in Hosea. Hosea 4.4 says, but don't look for somebody to blame. No finger pointing, this message translation, right? This has been something that's been wired into us early on, when we have troubles, we don't take responsibility, we deflect the blame. I think everybody would rather blame the other person than to take ownership, right? Most of us are emotionally invested in being right and looking good and seeming innocent, which is why we like to blame others. Why, why is that? Let me give you an example. So. Um, Erica has, Erica, for those that don't know, Erica is one of the worship leaders up here. She's here. Um, she's my spouse. Um, but she's been eating less red meat um, these last probably 12 months or so, more plant-based food. Um, and I have not taken that same approach. Um, you know that I love red meat if you've been here very long. Um but that's an, another story. But this is kind of part of the conflict here. So in my home, um, I'm off on Monday. So I sort of plan the menu for the next few days. And then Erica takes the rest of the week. So I, I come up with what we're going to eat for like Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Um, so I na- need to make sure we have enough vegetarian items and less beef. And this has not been an easy thing to do. So about a month ago, Erica and I had... Um, I don't know if it was a little fight, a little discussion about maybe not having so many plant-based items on the days that I'm planning. And there was a little bit of tension there, you might say. So I I committed myself to doing a better job in this area, right? And a couple weeks after that initial sort of kerfuffle, um, I thought I had been making real progress. And I planned out the menu, made sure I had all of my bases covered. So it's, it's Wednesday, and I come home, and I'm getting ready to, to get the items out that um, I had planned for the meal um, that had been cooked earlier in the week, and I'm, I'm looking to grab the fish that I had planned for Erica that night, and I don't see it. Hey, hon, where's the fish? Oh, I ate that for lunch. <laughs> so right there I had a choice, right, to make. And I would like to say that I was just perfectly centered. No problem. We'll figure something out. That's no, no worries, right? I'm taking my chicken thighs with skin, um, you know, out for myself and thinking, um, what am I going to do? I'm like, well, you can have tofu tonight. And Erica said, well, I just, we had tofu last night for, for dinner. And... I said, well, you should have asked me before you ate the fish. (laughs) It's getting a little less calm and peaceful in the home. She responds, I didn't know I had to ask permission to eat what was in the fridge. We have clearly gone off track. Well, you ate for lunch what was for dinner, so it's not my problem that you don't have anything for dinner. All right. There's the blame, right? I wanted to blame her for eating what I had planned. Now, I didn't tell her that was my plan, that she was not supposed to eat it for lunch, Um, but I wanted to blame her because I didn't want to be in the wrong there, right? I thought I'd work this all out, I got it right, and she messed up my plan, so I'm gonna blame you before she can blame me, right? That was my scheme. Did it work? Did that help resolve things? No, of course not, right? Now, if somebody else was there, if there was a third party present, they could probably have sensed what to do in the situation and could have kept us from getting triggered and blaming and we could have resolved it. But of course, these things are always personal, right? And so that little story of blame is maybe um, something that helps and keep actually prevents us from growing deeper in our relationship. It derails us, right? So there's a scientific and a biblical explanation for what's happening in that moment. I first want to talk about the scientific explanation. Um, they did a study um, where they challenged people's beliefs, their core beliefs, their values, their views, while they were doing um, having them in an MRI. And they looked at what happened in their brains. And now there's a part of our brain called the amygdala, and it's right behind the eyes here, and you can see it lit up in red there in the side scan and the top scan. And when what they found is when people's views were challenged, when their core beliefs were challenged, something that they held true, that part of the brain lights up. Sometimes it's called the reptilian brain. It's like this this response that allows us to fight or to flee or to freeze. And what they found was when your views are challenged, it's like you are actually being challenged. You are feeling threatened physically, like somebody is coming at you to attack you. It's the same response in your brain. Now, does this lead to great outcomes? No. They call this the amygdala hijack, and it refers to personal and emotional response that is immediate, overwhelming. It's out of measure with the actual stimulus because it has triggered something much more significant, this emotional Threat that you're feeling. Dr. Bezel van der Kolk um, wrote in The Body Keeps the Score. She calls the amygdala our smoke detector. It's responsible for detecting fear and preparing our body for an emergency response. When we perceive a threat, the amygdala sounds an alarm, releasing a cascade of chemicals in the body. Stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol flood our system immediately preparing us for fight, flight, or freeze. Have you ever experienced this? (laughs) Maybe somebody pushing your buttons, right? Maybe a partner, maybe uh, a child, maybe a parent, a roommate. All of a sudden, your response is probably bigger than the actual event. And that's what was happening to me and then to Erica in this fight that we had about food. Now, we can see this interpersonally. We can see this in work settings where you're challenged, maybe you're put down. We see this in the home with parents and siblings, these things that stir us up so easily, right? We can see it systemically in politics, in our city, right, and globally, political views. We can see this when our rights are challenged. We see this especially in the U.S. right now when you know, this value of freedom is so great that I don't want to be told to wear a mask. So I react disproportionately, right? We see this with racism. We see this right now with white privilege, right? An important topic that has been a lot in the media that, that I've personally wrestled with the meaning of that. I came across this quote, When you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression, right? It's all connected here because all of a sudden you are feeling challenged personally and so you go into this fight mode or this freeze mode or you run away, you're triggered, right? We overreact. Now, these reactions make sense when we understand that there's something chemically happening inside of us, right? Now, it doesn't mean the reaction is okay. It doesn't mean the reaction is good. But it it helps to make it understandable why we might get to that place. And when we can begin to understand that, we can recognize that there are steps that we can take, right? We have a will. We have choice. We realize we need to take a break. So that's the scientific explanation that can happen interpersonally. And if you don't have one of those examples, you've never been triggered, then please let me learn from you on how you do that. Um, because I have this happen to me. All right, so there's also a biblical explanation. And I want to look at that. It's Genesis three twelve to 13, and the verses will be on the screen. It's also in your bulletin. And this is in the garden, right? This is after Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit, and they're hiding, and God goes looking for them. He wants to know what's happened, not that he doesn't know, but he wants to hear it from them. So he finally, he finds Adam and Eve, and the man said, the woman, he asked him, what what did you do? And he says, what does Adam say? The woman you gave me to be with, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So Adam, did he take responsibility? No. First he blames God, this woman you gave me, right? And then he also blames Eve, too. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent tricked me, and I ate it, right? So Eve then blames the serpent. We've seen blame throughout history. It's, it's something that becomes very easy for us. And when we go into that place, right, we're, we're, we're listening to this accuser, this serpent here, right, and we're taking on that posture instead of the posture that God is wanting us to, to, to embody, right? We fall under that influence and, and we believe, you know, whatever false claim we're hearing in that moment. We forget our identity in God. We forget those things about us that matter the most in that moment. See, the the the, the MRIs, the, the amygdala response and the Bible um, let us know what's happening internally for us. And that the ways that we are respond are often broken, right? They're broken and our responses can be broken, but it doesn't have to be that way, right? When we're in a conflict, our inner lawyer that so easily comes out and wants to justify ourselves and not take ownership can be set aside. How do we do that, right? How do we not overreact? See, the good news is that Jesus on the cross reverses these patterns of sin, He can set us free from the curse of sin. We can know God's character, and God can do a transforming work in us. We can get our significance and our value from God, and those can be foundational in our lives. See, in Christ, we are free to love without judgment, love without blame, love without accusation, because we know we are loved that way by God unconditionally loved by him. So we're in a conflict. We don't have to worry about losing our identity. We don't have to worry about being wrong. Not everything is staked on this conflict because we know internally that who we are, we're God's child, we're loved, we're valued. It's not all at stake here. We can have a security as a child of God and who we are in him and this conflict the result of which cannot take that away it allows us to hold these things more loosely we can remind ourselves of where does our source of life come from do i have to blame somebody do i have to be right in this situation in order to have my identity no we can have that because of who jesus is we can know who we are in christ that we're valued that we're pursued that we're loved And that he gives us this and wants that for us. And can we believe that in our core? So we're in a conflict. Our core doesn't have to be threatened. Now, when your amygdala calms down, you can begin to look at the conflict more rationally. And these are some things I want us to think about. Now, we've talked about the three gates in the past these three gates in terms of when we get information, do we pass it along or not, right? And these three gates are, is it true, is it necessary, is it kind, and before we pass on information. But I want us to look at these three gates in a different way. I want you to apply these three gates, not to information you pass along about others, but to have these three gates for your self-talk. What do we allow into our minds? What... what? records do we repeat? What thing is going on replay in our minds about our identity, right? Is it from the serpent? Is it from the accuser, right? Is it from an unhelpful source? Maybe a harsh word from a teacher, from a parent that we've internalized. So when you're in a calm state, ask yourself these questions. Is what I'm repeating to myself, is it true? Is it real, Right. Am I messed up, right? Am I unforgivable? Do I have what it takes? And if it's not true, set it aside. If it is true, go on to the next step. Is it necessary for me to know this about myself? If yes, then carry on. And is it kind? How can we give ourselves kind self-talk, right? Not not self-talk from the accuser, right, who would love to push us away from God, who would love to bring condemnation, but to receive it into our minds in a way that we can understand. Now, we might get through those things, and, and it hopefully will get us to a place where we can look deep inside. And what we might find might be ugly. We might realize that we thought our motive was good, but after we paused, put down our weapons, we realize actually, I can be pretty selfish. Right? Actually, I can be pretty self-centered. I can hurt other people. Sometimes I'm not even aware of it. It allows us to go to that place because our identity is not challenged, right? We can walk in it with freedom because we know we can be secure in Christ. Now, when Erica and I were fighting about the food, on some level I knew it wasn't really about the food, right? But I couldn't really think about that in that moment until I'd calmed down. I'm going to give the resolution to that fight next week. And, and how, I, how we got to a place of deeper understanding where we could get to a place of actually looking what is below the surface here that's emerging. Because if I'm not secure in Christ in that moment, I will easily blame, deflect, to avoid. So what are some practical things we can do to, to press forward in relationships? One, we can look inward. We can look inward. And, and, and God gives us right, a great teaching Take out the log in your own eye, right, before you look at the speck in your neighbor's eye. This is not new teaching, but it's not usually what comes natural for us. We can ask ourselves, how have I contributed to this conflict? What do I need to confess? And these can create moments of openness when you can be the first one to go in a conflict and say, you know what, I think I messed up here And it provides openness. And maybe the other person will begin to be open as well and and begin to confess what they've done. Maybe they won't, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't be open, right? Practically speaking, we can remember when we're heated in the moment that we're triggered, our amygdala is triggered and we need to take a break. We need to step back. We need a time to calm down because probably what is ever going to come out of our mouth is not going to be helpful. So we need to practice spending time with God as well to reinforce who we are in Christ, that we can go into a conflict and not have everything feel like it's at stake here. We can be grounded before the conflict even starts. We see this from Jesus and and how he wants to minister to us in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We're going to spend some time in a few moments um, preparing our hearts for communion. But Jesus wants to bring us into a place of knowing that we can walk in these things in peace because he brings that to us. He undoes the fall in us and he begins to transform us. I saw this quote, fear is free, but faith takes work. It takes us investing into it. God's gift is free to us, but we need to avail ourselves to grow in our faith because our faith provides us with the relationship with God, the ultimate security that we can have. It's a primary way for us to be centered. Our faith provides a mirror for us to be able to honestly look at the things in our lives that we want to be transformed. It also provides a resource for us, a strength. The Holy Spirit strengthening us to walk forward in relationships. Now, next week, besides just talking about how that fight resolved, is how can we go deeper into these places when we can begin to slow down and ask ourselves the questions of the heart? How do we get to that place? So next week we're going to unpack that. A week after that, we're going to talk a little bit more about actually how do we take steps in the midst of conflict? Practical steps. So um, God, God has wired us for relationships, church, and they take work, and they're not easy but God is in these relationships. Let's prepare our hearts. God, we thank you that you are wanting to do a new work, that you are doing a new work in us in this process of changing us, of bringing your spirit, God. And so we hold on to you in the midst, especially when other things seem to be falling away. God, may we be secure in the new work you're doing, Jesus. Amen.